0: All right. Good morning, everyone. If you would turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1, we're going to start at the end of chapter 1 in verse 17 and go through the end of chapter 2. So, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Hear God's word. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. I'm just going to pause right there for a minute, let that land. If you hear nothing else this morning, let that be the word that rings in your head this week I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Well, our key truth for this morning is this. God graciously preserves his people because of his compassionate mission for the life of the world. Let me emphasize that conjunction right there. God graciously preserves his people because of his compassionate mission for the life of the world. In other words, if you are among the people of God, count on it. God will preserve you because you are included in his redemptive mission. You know, so far we've been talking about mainly the outward orientation that the redemptive mission of God impresses upon us. So God calls Jonah to go preach to Nineveh. Why does he do that? Because he's got a redemptive mission for the life of the world. Uh, Jonah's flight to Tarshish teaches us something important about our decision making. What is it? That God's got a redemptive mission for the life of the world, and He invites us, He calls us to orient our decision making around that great fact. Or uh, God is wonderfully, awesomely sovereign. How does He display it? By ordering all things, controlling all things for the sake of His redemptive mission. But lest you begin to think that God's redemption is all about everybody else except for you, lest you begin to think that it has nothing to say about the dark night of the soul, nothing to say when you are down and broken, pay close attention to Jonah's song here in chapter two. When you are broken and and overwhelmed, confused, fearful, when your days are dark, call to mind this biblical fact. God is on a redemptive mission for you. In fact, if you are in Christ, the mission has been accomplished by His death and resurrection, and so precious are you right now in His sight that He will not fail to preserve you by His grace. That is the great doctrinal theme of this text, and it is why I want you to pay close attention to that conjunction. God will hold you up. God won't let you drown in a sea of fear and unbelief because of his compassionate mission for you. So I've got a question for you as we start. What's the internal dialogue of your soul when you are going through times of difficulty? Which story has the louder voice? God's mercy in Christ or your sin and failure? And as you're thinking over that, I wanna read you a poem Don't worry, it's not one of mine. (laughs) But uh, just now we sung together the the song, Come Ye Sinners, a song that very appropriately fits the the message of our text. Uh, Recall these lines particularly. Come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and mangled by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous, not the righteous, sinners, Jesus came to call. Sinners, that, that's you and me. Jesus came to call, that's his mission, and not just to call, but to redeem and reconcile to God. Uh, that hymn was written by a guy called Joseph Hart. He lived in England during the 18th century, and I want now to read you another poem of his. It's not very long, but I think it'll help us to understand Jonah's poem, jo- Jonah's hymn, a little bit better. You know, sometimes poetry reaches the the soul, the heart, in a way that that prose can't. It's one reason why Jonah recorded this prayer of his as a poem, and one reason why the Holy Spirit gave us a songbook right in the middle of our Bibles. So uh, this is called a dialogue between a believer and his soul. So there are two voices in it, and and not to be tedious, I'm not going to tell you every time the the voices switch, but I'll tell you at the beginning, and then I think you'll be able to, to catch on. So, believer. Come, my soul, and let us try for a little season every burden to lay by. Come and let us reason. What is this that casts thee down? Speak and let the worst be known. Speaking may relieve thee. Soul, oh, I sink beneath the load of my nature's evil, full of enmity to God, captivated by the devil, restless as the troubled seas, feeble, faint, and fearful, plagued with every sore disease. How can I be cheerful? Think on what thy Savior bore in the gloomy garden, Sweating blood at every pore, to procure thy pardon. See him stretched upon the wood, bleeding, grieving, crying, Suffering all the wrath of God, groaning, gasping, dying. This by faith I sometimes view, and those views relieve me, But my sins return anew, these are they that grieve me. Oh, I'm leprous, stinking, foul, quite throughout infected, Have I not, if any soul, cause to be dejected? Think how loud thy dying Lord cried out, It is finished. Treasure up that sacred word, whole and undiminished. Doubt not, he will carry on to its full perfection that good work he has begun. Why then this dejection? Faith when void of works is dead. That's the scripture's witness. And what works am I to plead? Who am all unfitness? All my powers are depraved, blind, perverse, and filthy. If from dead I'm fully saved, why am I not healthy? Pour not on thyself too long, lest it sink thee lower. Look to Jesus, kind as strong, mercy joined with power. Every work that thou must do will thy gracious Savior, for thee work, and in thee too, of his special favor. Jesus' precious blood once spilt, I depend on solely. To release and clear my guilt, but I would be holy. He that bought thee on the cross can control thy nature, fully purge away the dross, make thee a new creature. That he can, I nothing doubt, be it but his pleasure. Though it be not done throughout, may it not in measure? When that measure, far from great, still shall seem decreasing, faint not then, but pray and wait, never, never ceasing. What when prayer meets no regard, still repeat it often. But I feel my heart is hard, Jesus will thee soften. But my enemies make headway, let them closer drive thee. But I'm cold, I'm dark, I'm dead, Jesus will revive thee. You know, something like that we may well imagine was the internal dialogue going on in Jonah's soul as he sat in the belly of the fish. In fact, we know that his soul was at this time. Deeply afflicted, and that he was on the brink of utter despair. Notice the summary statement at the end of chapter 1 in verse 17 and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, living in the light of the new covenant, um, we recognize that this is an allusion to Jesus and his death and resurrection. But let's not pass over it so quickly. After all, what did the phrase three days and three nights signify in the ministry of Jesus? Signified his death, his time in the grave. So what does three days and three nights signify for Jonah? Well, maybe not death exactly speaking, but certainly the threat of death, a kind of death. And in fact, in ancient Near Eastern mythologies that were current in Jonah's time, the phrase three days and three nights Um, functioned in sort of the same way that we use the phrase uh, six feet under, or maybe dead as a doornail, to quote Charles Dickens. So it is probable that ancient Near Eastern readers would have read this in this sort of way. Jonah was in the belly of the fish six feet under. So at the end of chapter one, it's not immediately obvious that the giant fish is going to be Jonah's means of deliverance and rescue. Notice also how Jonah himself describes his emotional state during this experience. He says, verse 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, out of the belly of Sheol, or the grave, or hell. Verse 3, You cast me into the deep. Your waves and billows passed over me. Verse 4, I said, I am driven away from your sight. Verse 5, Waters closed over me to take my life. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Verse 6, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away. Another way, by the way, to translate the Hebrew there is to say, when my soul was folded in on itself, or when my soul languished. Jonah's circumstances show that he could not have raised his mind to the hope uh, he had in God or to the gospel, except by a miracle. And God did that miracle. God preserved Jonah in the belly of the fish. Now, what do I mean by he preserved him? I mean not only that God kept Jonah alive, but that he sustained Jonah's faith in him, and he raised Jonah's mind to his mercy and grace, even in the belly of the fish. See this also in the text, verse 2. The Lord answered me. You heard my voice. Verse 4. I shall again look upon your holy temple. Verse 6. You brought me up. From the pit. Verse 7 I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. So, what is the result? Jonah recognizes that there is nowhere else to go except to the throne of grace. And more than that, there is no better place to go except to the throne of grace. Verse 8 Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, all the things that we try to gather around us to fix our problems in the moment of distress, in the dark night of the soul, all the things we reach out to blindly, as it were, the mute and deaf idols that cannot hear us and cannot respond to us, in that moment we are forsaking our hope of steadfast love. There is no better place to go except to the throne of grace. And notice in verse 9, this confident, repentant confession of faith, salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah's experience, in other words, shows us how difficult it is to raise our minds to the promises of the gospel when we're thrown into distress and tragedy and confusion and pain. Our souls, as it were, shrivel up on themselves. The devil takes the opportunity to whisper low, your sin is too much, you're going through this because you utterly deserve it and God will not be merciful. Or our unfitness is ever present before us. All the things we've left undone, uncultivated, all the opportunities that we've had to take hold of the means of grace and and ignored, they rush in upon our memories. All you see often is just a long tomorrow, and your soul is distracted and deeply afflicted. You're in distress, cast into the deep, driven away. The waters are over your head. Weeds hold you under. The bars seem closed over you forever. Your life faints away. That's how it was for Jonah. But God is on a redemptive mission for you. God promises to answer you, to hear your voice. He has thrown wide open the doors to his throne room. This is what he says. Your prayer will be heard by me. I will remember you, and I will cause you to remember me. I will not neglect you. I will raise you up from the pit. I will be with you. Jesus will revive you. And so, having shown you the redemptive logic of our text applied to all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, i have only to show you how to apply this doctrinal truth to your life. And I can say it in two words. Pursue God. Pursue Him when it's most difficult to do so. Pursue Him when you are least confident in yourself. And pursue Him when you're most. Pursue Him by casting aside all thought that you can make yourself worthy of his attention and notice. Pursue him by preaching the gospel to your soul. Pursue him by unceasing prayer and patient waiting. You ever notice that that is a a pretty consistent theme in the Bible, that we're called to pray to the Lord, to lift up our distresses and our troubles and our celebrations to him, and then patiently wait for the day in which he will answer us. So patient waiting is often coupled in Scripture with calling out to the Lord. So pursue Him. Never, never, never surrender the hope of His mercy. You, you see, that the fight for holiness, for, for satisfaction in God, for the assurance of His love and care for us, is not first about doing the right thing. It's not about behavior modification. It's to remember in the periods of our distress, to speak the gospel to our soul, this God-spoken truth Salvation belongs to the Lord. See it finally in verse 10 and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. God did that. So if you're going through a time of distress like Jonah was, I can't say, I don't know when it will be that God will fully deliver you from every aspect of it. But here's what I do know salvation belongs to the Lord. Jesus, you remember, was in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. His crucifixion on the hill called Golgotha had left him dead. Six feet under, we would say. Dead as a doornail. And the scripture says that by this death, he atoned for all the sins of everyone who will call upon his name. The record of sin that stood against us was canceled. No condemnation was written over our case. And three days later, God raised him from the grave, vindicated his atonement. The sting of death is gone. It's swallowed up in victory. And that is why I can say, with all the confidence in the world, you have only to call upon his name for deliverance. You're cold, you're dark, you're dead. Jesus will revive you. Here's how John Calvin sums it up. He says, Let us learn to weigh well what is here said. For when the Lord heavily afflicts us, it is then a legitimate and seasonable time for prayer. But we know that most people despair. They don't usually offer their prayers freely to God unless their minds are in a calm state. And yet, God especially invites us to himself when we are reduced to extremities. Let this then, which Jonah declares of himself, come to our minds, that he cried to God from, as it were, hell itself. Though Jonah then was not only like a dead man, but also on the confines of perdition, he yet believed that God would be merciful if he fled to him. Hear this, church. The servants of God do not gain the victory without great struggle. We must fight, and indeed strenuously, that we may conquer. Jonah then in this song shows that he was agitated with great trouble and hard contests. Yet this conviction was firmly fixed in his heart that God was to be sought and would not be sought in vain, as he is ever ready to bring help to his people whenever they cry to him. So a closing question for you. In what ways are you cultivating the ability to remember the Lord in times of distress? You've heard us talk about this many times, I think. It's really one of the purposes of the means of grace, perhaps the purpose of the means of grace, is to cultivate our ability to remember the Lord in times of distress because we know in those moments our soul is thrown into confusion. The the days seem dark. The waves pile up over us. It's not immediately obvious that the things we're going through are God's means of deliverance and rescue and the ways in which he will build us up in the faith. These things are hard to see. It's not easy for us. The means of grace help us to hold the gospel up before our very eyes. In baptism, in the Lord's Supper, in hearing the Word of God, in talking about it with one another, these things are not trivial. They help us to build us up in the gospel, to remember the Lord is good and that we ought to run to the throne of grace rather than from away from Him. Here also this quote from Sinclair Ferguson. He says, At the heart of his trials... When the tunnel through which he is passing seems to be unendingly gloomy, Jonah begins to see light and hope. Most of all, he realizes that his experience has had a purpose. That is the difference between condemnation and chastisement, that it has a purpose, a purpose to draw us closer to the Lord, to help us to recognize Jonah's theology. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor really be angry forever. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins or repay us for our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in the field. The wind passes over it, and it is gone. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, and his faithfulness to children's children, to those who remember his covenant and keep his commandments. You have established your throne in the heavens, and your kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. That's Jonah's theology. That's what he had to remember in the belly of the fish. That's what the Lord calls us to call to mind in our periods of distress. So, what does Jonah 1, 17 through 210 teach us? At least three things. One, we must work diligently to raise our minds to Christ in times of distress. It's not easy. It's not easy. But you know that that is the Christian life. It's the call that God has given to us to run to Him. We ought to work diligently at that. Two. God will graciously sustain our faith in Him through times of trial and discipline. Three, God has a compassionate purpose in the trials and discipline He sends upon us. God is on a compassionate mission for you. How was it that Jonah, the runaway prophet, in the very moment when all hope seemed to be lost, was able to raise his mind to hope in God? He remembered his theology. God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. By this truth, he overcame. God graciously preserves his people because of his compassionate mission. Don't forget that conjunction. There's much more to the Jonah story. In the first half, the theme of God's mission has been prominent, and in the next half, we're going to see that the theme of God's compassionate is more prominent. So Matt will lead us into that second half, and we will see Jonah struggle with this too. We'll see him forget it, like we sometimes forget it too, but that's for another time. In the meantime, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you as people who rejoice, Lord, in your compassionate mission for us. Lord, help us not to forget it. Help us to be able to preach the gospel to ourselves, to recognize your great graciousness and compassion and mercy in giving us means by which we can remember all that you have done for us in Christ. in which we can remember our theology. And Lord, I pray that it would sink down into our hearts, that we would be fearless and insistent on recognizing the great redemption that you have given us in Christ, and that we would pursue it above everything else. Lord, thank you for the wonderful promises that we have in Christ, for sustaining us, for giving us the sure promise that though we fail many ways, and we will fail continually, yet you will not give up on us. But even in times of trial and discipline, you will shape us and help us to be the kind of people that you created us to be, people who depend upon you solely. So do this in the name of Christ we ask. Amen.